1: Hey, this is Chris Jericho, and you're listening to the Shout It Out Loud cast. They're going to give you a reason to live, make you feel like you're the king of the mountain, and when it's all said and done, they're going to dance all over your face.
2: Oh, yeah! We got some good-looking girls! Oh, yeah! If you people want a little bit of rock and roll, I said if you people want a little bit of rock and roll, shout it out loud! (laughs)
1: What's up there, Kiss Army? Uh, Tom and Zeus with another episode of Shout It Out Loudcast, episode 55. With We've got this one uh, called author Greg Prado. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great, Zeus.
3: Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome. And uh, this is going to be a good one. We are uh, happy and excited to welcome renowned author Greg Prado here to talk about his amazing new KISS book, Take It Off, KISS Truly Unmasked. Greg, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
0: Hey, Tom and Zeus. Thanks
1: for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for coming. We're excited. Um, So, Tom, what's going on in
3: KISS world? Yeah, so before we start uh, picking Greg's brain here, um, with some KISS news here, Um, we're about a week away from us seeing the Manchester show February 1st, where they kick off uh, the US leg with uh, Mr. David Lee Roth. That's going to be interesting. I'm sure people have a lot of opinions on that. Um, Greg, have you happened to see any of the uh, footage of Mr. Roth on YouTube?
0: Yes, I have to say I'm a huge, huge David Lee Roth fan. Um, huge fan of also Van Halen, of course. Uh, one of the best arena shows I ever saw in my life was not a Van Halen show, but it was David Lee Roth on the Eat Him and Smile Tour with Steve I and Billy Sheehan and Greg Bissonette. That remains probably the top or at least one of the top arena rock shows I ever saw. But uh, yeah, that first uh, opening show in Vegas uh, didn't really sound right. He, w- he was way off. But to his credit, he must have gone back and listened or saw what was going on because the, the second night onwards, you could tell he definitely was more on it. You know, he yeah. wasn't singing so often and everything. So, like, that's, I guess, the plus and minus with having cell phone technology is if you, if you have a bad night, it gets out there and people can totally, uh, you know, screw you pretty much that's <laughs> absolutely yeah
3: you're right that that first night was just whoa that was rough but uh it was. Si- since then you're right i think he kind of went back and kind of looked at it so yeah so we're excited for that um i'm taking my 15 year old son who uh he has seen kiss once and he loves van halen so he's excited to see david lee roth i told him to uh temper his expectations but <laughs> um but that'll be fun um so we're looking forward to that other kiss news is the kiss cruise i think zeus said they're about
1: 70 percent booked correct zeus yeah 70 percent is what i saw i am still waiting for my turn to be able to purchase uh a uh a pass and uh, i can't convince tom to go yeah i've been no, trying for a couple of years he won't go so i will throw it out there anybody that wants to hang out with uh half of shout it out loud cast if you got it Please let me know. Uh, Somebody please fun and no snores, please. Right. (laughs) Um, I look forward to that. But uh, I want to jump back for a second. You were talking about um, your love of David Lee Roth. And I didn't know this, but I found it in your book, which we will get into. You mentioned a part somewhere in like those. There's a section in there where you go over a lot of the appearances that Kiss had in the 80s. Various television programs and things like that. And there was a part where somebody had asked Gene a question. I'm not sure where. And Gene had said, uh, you know, we can beat anybody. And then someone said, what about Van Halen? And he said, bring it on, boys. And you made a point to say, what would that have been like back then, huh?
0: Yeah, that was in uh, 1984. That he was being interviewed by Lisa Robinson. Uh, it was on the USA Network. Uh, I believe it was the, the weekly heavy metal show. I forget what it was called, like heavy metal Heroes, I I forget what it was called, but yeah, so that would have been the animalized era for Kiss, and that would have been 1984 for Van Halen. So that would have been a, a, a totally amazing double bill right there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, how crazy would that have been? Mm-hmm. All right, I, I would say they, they probably could have played stadiums, I would think, right? Oh, no doubt, probably. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. KISS would have to swallow their pride because they're not headlining that, Gil, no. that bill on nineteen
3: eighty four. No, right. Especially right, especially with Van Halen touring in support of nineteen eighty four. That would not, yeah, KISS would have been yeah. opening up for that one for sure. So right.
1: yeah. yeah. So one of the other things that we do, um, we always when we have a, a new guest, we ask we call him because this is old Tommy's older roommate, Murph questions. There are five of them, pretty simple. So I'm going to ask these questions of you, my friend. And the first one is your favorite KISS member.
0: So this is uh, throughout, from the very beginning through to the uh, modern day? All-time favorite KISS member. I'm going to have to go with probably Ace Frehley. Okay. Because I think he was the coolest. Uh, I think he's one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Um, It's also pretty interesting. He was a good songwriter from the beginning, but... As the albums went on, I think he probably got a little more, well, obviously got more confident because he started singing in uh, 77. So, you know, he he definitely, I think, improved as the albums went as far as the quality of uh, what he was doing. I mean, of course, you could look at Unmasked, I think, was a uh, bad album pretty much from start to finish. But, oh, Oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I of course, liked it back when I first heard it, but that's not an album I listen to really anymore. To be honest with you, I mean, it just uh, doesn't really do it for me. But, um, yeah, Ace, I think, was the uh, coolest of the... uh, Or Ace is my favorite of the bunch. Okay. Great. How about your favorite Kiss song? Hmm. Favorite Kiss song. I mean, see, the thing is... I would probably go with the live version of uh, Rock and Roll All Night. But, I mean, I've heard it so many times. If I never heard it again in my life, I would actually be totally happy with that. <laughs> so um, I really kind of like uh, She. I like a lot. She is one that not too many people pick. I like that one a lot. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, also, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just I think, uh, go with She for now. Okay. <laughs> Favorite Kiss album? Hmm. Probably Rock and Roll Over because I love the sound of it. Um, the first album's really good too though that's uh, for some reason whenever people talk about the top rock debuts of all time that first Kiss album gets lost in the shuffle yes it does that I think is one of the best ones uh, But then, and I also really love Hotter Than Hell too but I think the Sonics kind of make it drop down a little bit for me if I'm going to list the top so I'll probably go with Rock and Roll Over with also a mention of Creatures of the Night I think is fantastic too but I'll have to go with rock and roll over since it was the original four members. Perfect. How many kiss concerts have you been to? Uh, Let me think. Okay. Well, the first one I saw them was dynasty uh, the dynasty tour when I was seven years old. That was with uh, Judas priest opening up at Nassau Coliseum. (laughs) Wow. Then I saw them on the crazy nights tour with Ted Nugent opening. I saw them on the hot in the shade tour with, Slaughter, and it was not Winger; it was Little Caesar. That's who
3: opened up when I saw them. That's who I had too. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I, okay, and then um, I, I, I interestingly did not see them on the uh, reunion tour, but I saw them uh, twice on Psycho Circus, uh, another time on the uh, False uh, Farewell tour. Yep. So, that, so that's six, and then I saw them again uh, when they toured with. Uh, Def Leppard, a few years back. Mm -hmm. So I think that's seven, and I've seen Ace solo, uh, probably about five or six times. And uh, yes, I think think that's it. Have you seen any of the the end-of-the-road shows? No, I've not, because it's funny. In the 80s, uh, I could totally accept that there were no longer the original four, but I, I'm one of those guys that just kind of finds it hard to swallow seeing someone else dressed up as ace and Peter but okay. I mean fair but, enough but but I mean I, I I don't hold it against people that you know enjoy it because uh, I do hear some I, I have a lot of friends that have seen them on this last go around and I've heard nothing but very very positive things about it but yep. just for me personally it's just uh not for me fair enough oh that's cool good you don't stomp around and bitch
1: about it like uh like some uh, some famous uh kiss fan does all right. day and make it like a big point to say that you know you, it's not the same it's not real but i'm glad you know if it's not for you that's just it but it's for some other people you know right um do you have a favorite kiss memory
0: uh let me think kiss memory um well, I know how I first discovered them was uh, going to my bus stop, and I had a friend who was a year older than me who had an older brother, and he brought his Kiss trading cards to the bus stop. Oh, and yes. So uh, so that was uh, pretty much my whole entire intro to Kiss. But, uh, yeah, but that that's a good one. Also going to see that um, <clears throat> Dynasty show was a good one. Um, and also for Christmas of 1979, uh, Santa was in a very big Kiss mood because I got... <laughs> Uh, Kiss Double Platinum on cassette. I got Kiss Alive 2 on 8-track. And I believe I got the Paul Stanley doll, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, And, and I may have gotten one or two other Kiss things, too. But I, I know that that was a pretty uh, Kiss-heavy Christmas for me. Excellent.
1: Isn't it funny? That's, that's our wheelhouse, too. So me and Tom are both, like, 46. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about, like, what were our parents thinking? Like right. <laughs> getting us into KISS. It's like yeah. when you when we turned like eight years old, like ah, Kiss is too we're too old for KISS now. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we went through yeah. that stage where like from five to seven you can remember KISS in your life, which is yeah, amazing. Yeah. How many kids nowadays know about rock? Like a hard rock band yeah. like right. I can say, Yeah, yeah, my parents got me into uh, Metallica when I was right. five, right? Right, yeah. So that's great. Awesome. All right. So Thank you for answering those. Uh, Tom, you want to go into our uh, discussion in the book? Want to start us off? Yeah. So so uh,
3: like we said, Greg is a uh, a, a renowned author, uh, primarily music, but he does have a, a history of uh, some sports books too. So Greg, before we jump into this book specifically, why don't you take a couple minutes just to talk about... Um, just your background, um, you know, the kind of books that you've written, um, you know, some of your specialty areas. And uh, what what are some projects that you might be uh, having coming up?
0: Sure. Well, I've been a music fan since I was very young and I became a writer uh, in the late 90s. And I made and I was writing for a bunch of uh, websites and magazines, which I uh, still do. I still write for places like Song Facts and I write for Vintage Guitar Magazine currently. And I also write for uh, the um, <clears throat> Brave Words website as well. Those are just yep. some of the sites I currently write for. And uh, I've in 2008, I started writing books. And I've been lucky so far. Every single book I've ever done has been a subject that I was a fan of and that I also wanted to see a book out there. But there was not a book out yet. Or if there was a book, um, I just... Either hadn't read it or if I read it, I just wanted to try something a little different, maybe come at it from a um, different angle. So over the years, because I'm a Kiss fan, I did a book called The uh, Eric Carr Story that came out about 10 years ago. That was my first Kiss book. And I've done a bunch of other books. Uh, I did a book called Grunge is Dead because I'm also a big fan of Soundgarden and Nirvana and all those bands. And And I've I've read read a while back and I've read that I've read that book
3: and it's it's fantastic. That's I was just going to give you a little props on that. That's a terrific book.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I also did a book. uh, One of my favorite singer rock singers of all time was Shannon Hoon from the band Blind Melon. That was my first book called A Devil on One Shoulder. I did that. I did a book about Primus, Meat Puppets, King's X. I just did a book with uh, earlier in 2019. Uh, a book about Tommy Bolin. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of books, and then, like you said, I am a, a big sports fan as well. And my three teams are the Mets, Jets, and Islanders, which are probably the three most torturous, <laughs> you could possibly root for that. Just when you think they couldn't torture you more, they somehow find a way to kick you in the private parts even even harder, <laughs> repeatedly over and over again. But, I guess when you hit a certain age you become completely numb to the pain and then you realize if I've come this close what am I going to do I turn back now so <laughs> I've done books on them <laughs> nice now and you, all, you ha- also have a, you also
3: have a book about um Soundgarden which you've said is probably your favorite band
0: Yeah well no my my all-time favorite band I'm going to have to go with Queen and I actually okay. did a book yeah and I yep. did a book about Queen um a while back, but yeah, but Soundgarden is uh, my is my second favorite band of all time. Yeah, it's called Dark, Black, and Blue: The Soundgarden Story. Excellent. Uh, yeah, Soundgarden was I, 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 definitely one of my favorite bands. I saw them probably the most out of any other band. I probably saw them between ten or fifteen times over the years. Wow! And I just really connected with their music. Uh, they're a band I could listen to. I pretty much from the time I started listening to them in 1989 to now, I haven't stopped listening to them. I haven't gotten sick of them, so yeah. And it was just—it still definitely affects me uh, that, uh, of course, Chris Cornell died. Mm -hmm. Very, very sad and a uh, complete tragedy and waste. I, you know, absolutely wish he was still here. Yeah. And um, and I'd say my third favorite band of all time is ACDC with Bon Scott singing. And it just so happens uh, next month is the 40-year mark of his passing, and I have a book coming out called "A Rock and Rollin' Man." Excellent. (laughs) <laughs> Which oh, is, terrific. Uh, all, it's comprised of interviews I conducted for the past year with all people talking about what made uh, Bon Scott so unique and such a, a legend. And I interviewed Phil Anselmo from Pantera. I interviewed Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, KK Downing from Judas Priest, Tony Platt, who engineered uh, Highway to Hell and also Back in Black. Also. um, Well, so I speak to uh, several other, I mean, pretty, pretty uh, big, uh, you know, uh, rock people. Oh, I also interviewed Simon Wright, who played drums in ACDC, not Mm -hmm. with not not when Bon Scott was in the band, but in the 80s. But he has some very interesting uh, perspectives just, you know, about talking with Angus and those guys about Bon and some pretty, pretty interesting things he heard behind the scene. Excellent. So, yeah, that's coming out next month.
1: Now, a couple things I want to jump on now you also did something with, about on STP. I think Scott Weiland, right?
0: Yes, indeed, I did. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I was really upset with his passing. Sadly, me like I'm sure a lot of people. I, I, I wasn't totally surprised by his passing just because of his history with you know drugs and everything. But um, when that uh, book, came, excuse me, when it, when when the news broke that he passed away, someone posted on my Facebook page how much they enjoyed the book I did about Shannon Hoon and would I ever consider doing a book about Scott Weiland. And I thought that was a great idea, but Scott Weiland had already written a book about himself. So what I did is I took it from a different perspective and I interviewed a bunch of people that worked with him or were mm-hmm. fans of his work. So I was able to get some pretty cool perspectives. I interviewed like, the directors of the Stone Temple Pilots videos, like they're you know, really, really big videos from mm-hmm. early on. And I interviewed some of the um, album producers and people that played with him. So, yeah, you, you get a... Very human, honest, uh, perspective of Scott Weiland in that book. Unfortunately,
1: Excellent. there's a lot of guys on that, on these lists, great musicians that have passed that you've done. Shannon Hoon, Scott Weiland, Chris Cornell. Um, did you do something on, did I read that correctly? Rainbow?
0: Yes, I did. Is that I did the a band book. Rainbow? Yes. I, I did a book <laughs> called, called the, the, the other side of rainbow, which, uh, what what it was, was there was the documentary that came out a while back that was done by Richie Blackmore, and it was just completely one-sided. It was just his side of the story, really. I mean, I know they interviewed some people, but they didn't, you know, go after, they didn't speak to any of the, you you definitely would have liked to have heard what, of course, Ronnie James Dio would have said, but he was sadly deceased. You would have liked to have heard what also Ian Gillen said, but he, I guess, wasn't on good terms with him. And also the people that they did speak to, it was so edited that, you know, I don't think, for instance, Jolin Turner really spoke his mind. And they didn't even speak to uh, Graham Graham Bonnet in that. So with uh, with that, with that book called The Other Side of Rainbow, the reason why I titled it is because I spoke to all the other people that were not part of that documentary. So you get the other side of the story.
1: Great, great. And then the last thing I want to mention is I'm the biggest hockey fan. Mm -hmm. So you talking about the island? For me, that is the forgotten dynasty in all sports. There were those 80s Islanders teams. I remember where I was when uh, Bobby Nystrom nice scored that o- overtime goal. I like In Niagara Falls, I was a young, young kid watching mm. that when they beat the Flyers. That dynasty was stacked. And you could put that team up against a lot of hockey dynasties. Sorry to get us off track on hockey again, Tom, <laughs> but I had to say it's this okay. to Greg.
3: It's Okay. It's okay. Real, real quick. I grew up loving the Islanders. I used to get tickets to see them play at the garden just so I could watch Mike Bossy play. Oh. But, uh, but, but, <laughs> but, but but, yeah, we want to uh, let, let's stay on track here. So before we get into uh, the book, let's uh, let's take a quick break on uh, I'm going to get myself fitted for some uh, body glove clothing here like Paul Stanley. <laughs>
1: we're back and I got inspired by Greg's book. So I put a hash mark on the fart chart like, uh, Eddie Kramer <laughs> does. What, uh, what a story that is. That is so random, but isn't that,
0: <laughs> I would, you know, when he, when he told me that I was so taken aback that usually <laughs> if someone said that to me and I was expecting it, I would have probably peed my pants with, you know, laughing, <laughs> but I was just, I think I may even had to really eat what he said just to make sure. I heard him say the word fart correctly. But <laughs> <Yep. laughs> well, we're mature here and shout it
1: out loud, Castle. So, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So why don't we, Tom, why don't go we start ahead. why don't you start? Uh, yeah, why don't we start
3: from the top? So Greg, talk to us about so this book is fantastic on many levels, but primarily because it covers a topic that no other KISS book has. And Zeus and I uh you probably can see behind his chair a little bit, he's got a mountain of all the KISS books. We we've read them all, mm-hmm. and this is unique. So Tell us what prompted you to say, "I want to do a book about the unmasked, unmake, non-makeup era of Kiss."
0: Right. Well, yeah. Well, this book, and I, I should probably say the title of it's "Take It Off: Kiss Truly Unmasked" is, is the yes. name of the book, and um, it has a forward by Chris Jericho of uh, Fozzie fame, mean, and it also has a afterward by uh, a chap by the name of Aunt, of Andreas Carlson, who people would probably know. He had a big uh, hand in Paul Stanley's solo album called Live to Win a few years back. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, the, uh, the reason why I did the book is, I could t- you know, one of the things is um, part of my job, I guess, as a book author is I try to kind of get a feel as to maybe like a topic that is maybe gaining or, yeah, is kind of gaining interest out there. And it seemed like over the last few years I could definitely – Get a pulse by people talking a lot, or there was at least a buzz about non makeup era Kiss again. I think that's due to the fact that uh, Bruce Kulick doing those uh, make, non makeup era sets on the uh, Kiss Cruises and getting such a, a, a great feedback. That has a lot to do with it also. If you, I mean, Kiss still to this day does a, a handful of the uh, non makeup era songs live. And if you go on uh, Spotify in the top 10 Kiss uh, listen to songs, Three or four of those tracks are from the uh, non-makeup era. So from those three things, I could definitely get a uh, feel that I thought the time was right to do a book about the non-makeup era. So, uh, yeah, I started work about two or two and a half years back. And uh, Jawbone Press is a uh, publisher I've worked with in the past. I did a book called Shredders a while back, which was about all the shredding guitarists. And for that book, I actually interviewed both Ace and also Bruce. And then I did a book called the uh, Yacht Rock book for them. Oh, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I did a book earlier in 2019 called King's X, the oral history. I'm a huge fan of that band yep. Yep. and draw press did a great job on all those books. I went to them with this book idea and they were all for it. And uh, again, they did an outstanding job and they did a great job designing the cover, putting the photo uh, section together. Um, yeah. You know, they, you know, one thing I have to say, if any potential uh, writer, uh, yeah, writers is listening to this, I have nothing but positive things to say about Jawbone Press. They pretty much let the author have the final say with everything. They'll make some suggestions, but really they let the author have, they, they let them stick to their, their true vision, which I really can't say enough nice things about Jawbone Press for doing that. Perfect.
3: Now, one of the things about this book that I love, and I don't know if I'm speaking you know, for Zeus or for anybody out there, But one of the unique things about this book, and I applaud you for it, and I'd like to know the background on this decision, there's no interviews by Paul or Gene.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, yeah, you know, that goes back to what I was talking about with my earlier book called The Other Side of Rainbow. The reason why I didn't even pursue getting Richie Blackmore is, number one, he probably would never speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) And then then also, uh, two, is... um, the thing with uh, with this book, uh, "Take It Off," Kiss truly unmasked. There have been Kiss books in the past, such as uh, which is i came out a few years back. Was that uh, "Behind the Mask"? Was not that the name of it? That was uh, that came out a while back. There was another one called "Nothing to Lose." Right, exactly, um, exactly, yep. yeah, exactly, Yeah, So those officially released books, um, Gene and Paul really, you know, are th- they're they're the primary voices in those books, which, look, I, I can totally understand, because they've been there since the beginning. So, of course, you know, people want to hear what the hell I have to say. I mean, you know, I would definitely want to hear what they have to say primarily, too. But that said, you don't hear nearly enough from people like Bruce Kulick. You don't hear nearly enough from Ron Nevison, Toby Wright, the people that toured with them, the people that wrote songs with them. Um, I mean, even like, you know, Ace, I wanted to hear what also Ace had to say about the uh, non-makeup era. So, yeah, so I, I purposely did not pursue uh, Gene and Paul because so, I just wanted to open the forum, if you will, to uh, people that have not been interviewed at length that would have interesting things to say. And, uh, and I, looking back, I'm, I'm definitely glad I did because that's a big compliment I'm getting from a lot of people that they were happy that uh, I let people like Bruce Kulick really finally speak his mind. And, and, and by doing so, he had a lot of cool, interesting things to say that I never really read anywhere before. Yeah,
1: I I I can't say uh, enough good things about this. Um, I I don't know, like a lot of our listeners, I'm suspecting I got major ADD. So when I'm reading a book, it, it sometimes, although I love the subject, it becomes tortuous for me. Like, oh Jesus, how much, how many more chapters? What? I didn't put this down. I banged this out this week in about three days, and I probably could have banged that out in a day. It is a awesome read i love how you you know the segments are set up you go chronologically from album to album and we'll put the asterisk there with the creatures of the night part but but the sections you have the people that speak I, i mean i've got my notes and we'll go through this but i can't i mean the way this was formatted excellent makes for a fun easy read um I know once I picked this up, I put, I couldn't put it down until I finished. And usually I've got about probably about 10 books that I'm halfway through. that I still can't finish. (laughs) This was awesome. Um,
0: thank you. And
1: I, I I mean, any kiss fan, uh, needs to have it. Um, and they'll see what I mean when they pick it up, they will not be able to put it down. Um, but Tom, do you want to start with maybe go in to, by starting with, uh, chapters and we'll just go. Yeah we'll, just, ask, we'll some questions. Yeah, we'll, ju- we'll just yeah we'll
3: just kind of you know, kind of breeze through, you know, the the, the this era and just kind of hit some <laughs> bullet points. So obviously the, you know, um, you know, it, it is chronological like Zeus said and each each album is kind of broken down into um, you know, which I think is that like Zeus was saying the format of the book is what makes it so easy to read and enjoy is that, you know, like you start with with, you know, with lick it up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and you get into kind of what was going on with the band at that time and you kind of break it down. And then at the end of each section, you had, um, uh, Kurt Gooch talk about like the tours that were associated with, with each albums. So just kicking it off with like, lick it up. Like how did you, for each, I guess, generally speaking, not just lick it up. What, what, how did you decide like who was going to be kind of interviewed and discussed with, with each album, like people involved with the album, people who are fans of the album. What what was your thought process there specifically with lick it up? I guess we'll start with.
0: Yeah. I mean, with, with lick it up, um, what it was, was I just went out when I was going album by album, I was trying to think of someone that either played on the album or wrote a song on the album or produced the album, someone that was directly involved in it, or I thought it would be interesting to hear maybe from someone that was a fan of that album. So that's pretty much how it goes okay Throughout album by album so for lick it up i have um eddie trunk talking about that and i also have um trying to think oh i have also keith roth who's the uh host of ozzy's boneyard and also hair nation on sirius yep and uh yeah they both uh give their thoughts and also memories on those uh, albums and i thought that uh <clears throat> eddie trunk had a pretty interesting story about uh he was working at a, a record store at the time and uh I don't know if I should give away the story, but he <laughs> he was he 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 wasn't expecting the Lick It Up album and he happened to see it and he was uh, caught off guard. I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, you don't want to give too much away. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: You do have, a, you know, there's a bunch of in each chapter you have some fun, different things. So you're not only just talking about the track. So you'll have somebody talking about the music, but you'll have something specific to the band in that era. So, for instance, you have a ton of people here. Where they, you know, anybody from Warren D. Martini from Rat to Joe Elliott from Def Leppard to Getty Lee, just for in the Lick It Up section, just give their opinions about Kiss taking the makeup off. Quick right. thought and a quick hit. Like yep. these are things that people would love. And I'm not going to give it away because I want people to pick up your book, but that's a great section. I loved reading that.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, Zeus, I, I was going to ask you something quickly before. Now, you said that you uh, enjoyed the book. And that you write it in three days. Now, I want you to be honest with this next question I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How does this book uh, compare to previous Kiss books? Would you say, like, like, which one is the best and how would you compare this book, Kiss, Take, uh, take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked, to the best Kiss book, would you say? Okay, so if you want the truth,
1: uh, I'm going yeah. to give you the caveat that I'm an attorney.
0: No, I got it. No, I got it. <laughs> all right. Well, how about that? Um, no, wait, you know what? Hold on a second. You tell me what you think the best kiss book is, and I'm going to tell you what I think the best kiss book is. How about that? All right. All right. So, um, go ahead.
1: I will definitely tell you, and I'm looking at my books right here. The one that stands out to me because, uh, as our listeners know, and Tommy knows, okay, for me, my favorite kiss book is Peter Chris's because okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest Peter Chris fan. And as much as he comes across off as whiny You know I wanted to hear Peter's side right? And so that one drew Like my attention the most uh, I liked Paul's Autobiography um, I would uh, This is easily top five It might be my favorite Of the non-autobiography Books by KISS members um, that's how much I liked it And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass It's just an easier Read it, it, It's, it's not too, You hit the bullet points and, and you get a lot of information Um, I, I mean I've read Kiss books where I'm like, okay, I know that I know that, I know that Maybe I get something I don't know right. But this, every chapter I pick up something new And interesting, or funny Or I love hearing other people's opinions about stuff, so I would probably put this well definitely my top five. Mm -hmm. Um, If non uh, autobiography, I you know obviously top three, but it could be my favorite. Uh, I also like behind um, behind the mask here. Yes, that one, and it's always our go to book for a lot of stuff. But I'll tell you, when we do, I wish I had this book when Mm -hmm. we were doing album reviews. Of oh, certain yeah. albums we did in the 80s. Because yeah. I'm going to use it as a resource. And we will certainly quote you when we right. start doing album reviews of other 80s. And we'll go back to this. Because this will be a good source of material. Good. Um, I, I, I'm telling you. The fans well, that you. will pick this up will, will will, agree with me. And I can't Great. wait to hear their feedback.
0: Well, listen. Thank you very much. I definitely appreciate that. And uh, do you want to hear what, who, what, what I think my uh, favorite KISS uh, book is of all time? Sure. Sure. My favorite Kiss book of all time is called Take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm just kidding, man. That's a joke. No, That's a gene joke. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, my my favorite Kiss book of all time is Sealed with a Kiss by Lydia Chris.
3: Now, I unfortunately have yet to purchase that. I hate to admit that. Zeus has that, and uh, I have had a chance to look at it, and it is, from what I've seen, it's fantastic, and I do need to add that to my collection, because I think that may be the only one that I do not have.
0: I yeah, love no, it. that one. Yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about that book. It's it's absolutely fantastic. She was she's a, a great photographer. So she took pictures from before Kiss started throughout all the years. And she has some very interesting things to say as some really kind of unique insight as to what's going on. And uh, yeah, I highly, highly, uh, I highly recommend that book. I think that to me is the book that I've probably looked at the most of all the Kiss uh, books that have been out there over the years. Nice.
1: Um, The only thing with that, it's a little bit overwhelming. I mentioned I have my ADD. When Mm -hmm. you look at it, you're just like, "Oh my God, look at all this stuff! Where do I start?" (laughs) You know, it's it is unbelievable. Um, Mm -hmm. I still will put your book up uh, against it, Uh, Tom. We didn't get your opinion. No, uh, the format of this
3: book is why I love it so much. The the you know, it's not just an author just writing and writing and writing it's interviews it's insight it's things taken from a different angle it's your opinion it's a uh, expert's opinion it's djs musicians producers writers fans and i think the it's it's put in it's put together in such a way that like zoo said and i think that i think the thing that i like about this book is it has that rare ability where you can go back and read it again Mm-hmm. And you can go and read it and be like, you know what, let, let me, let me get, let me, did I miss something? Maybe when I read that crazy night section, let me pull that up again and, and pull that apart again. Um, it's just really, it, it's just a, a, an excellent book. Um, and you know, I mean, we can't say enough about it, but let's just, let's just try to get into a little bit more here. Cause I know we, we don't have all night. We could turn this into a six hour episode if we wanted to, <laughs> but so one, one of the things that I, you know, I have a couple bullet points here. So kind of staying in the timeline here, uh, um, just talking a little bit about what was happening on during Animalize. Sure. Well,
0: with Animalize, <clears throat> what's interesting is they got rid of uh, Vinnie Vincent because uh, he was shredding a little bit too much, but yet they replaced him with uh, a guy who was a, a pure shredder, which was of course, Mark Saint. John. Which uh, Also, which is interesting, with Vinnie Vincent, they were looking upon him to uh, carry the load a bit with also songwriting, but Mark St. John wasn't asked to even write a single song on Animal Eyes. So uh, Gene and Paul did uh, pretty much all the writing with, of course, Eric Carr writing a little bit here and there, and also a few uh, people from the outside writing as well. But uh, yeah, but but that said, uh, and then also with that, we can't forget that Gene Simmons from Animal Eyes onward for the rest of the '80s gets a bit sidetracked, and it seems like Kiss is not his primary concern or focus. Now he starts with acting and managing and launching record labels and stuff like that. So it's really Paul Stanley who's uh, going to be the main. You know, he, he's he's producing things. He's he's really the one that's offering the most. Memorable songs as well. So, uh, but interestingly enough, although that album sounds like, from everything I just said, you think it probably wouldn't be a, a strong kiss album. That is a very strong kiss album. And that also definitely helped reestablish them. In fact, that I think was probably their most popular 80s album, I, I would think.
3: And I think you brought, I think I've heard you bring up a good point too, where you said between Lick It Up and Revenge, Gene kind of lost his demon. He had it on Lick It Up and he brought Mm. it back on Revenge. And in between he between his distractions with Hollywood and Cher and the supermodels and really just kind of being not really kind of being like a part time member. um, You know, I think it was it was like a Paul solo project for for much of that decade.
0: It was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. You could tell that Paul was uh, calling the shots. I mean, even from the way that they were even even the fashions and how they looked, it was definitely more like it seemed like Paul type fashion i mean like gene simmons has absolutely no uh, place putting rouge on his cheeks and (laughs) pouting his lips whereas whereas though to to uh paul stanley's credit like he you know obviously can get away with that because i mean because even with the star child persona that was always a flamboyant type of you know thing whereas gene simmons was the complete opposite of that he was you know the, the demon and all that type of stuff so yeah i mean uh I, I, I kind of wish that he was more focused throughout the '80s and did more from that demon persona, like he did with "Lick It Up," and then again with also "Revenge." But yeah, but I mean, but then again, of course, we always say that hindsight's always twenty-twenty. So it's one easy thing to that, say. one thing
3: that frustrates Zeus and I about this era, and we've turned it into kind of you know episodes on the show, is that there's no live album during the '80s. And in the 80s, they had the animalized uncensored live DVD thing where they played every song like a thousand miles an hour. Right.
0: Right.
3: Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, about that, that, you know, that DVD, that performance and why did you have any information from anybody about why they didn't want to make a live three at that time with Eric Carr? Because sadly, Eric Carr never got to make an appearance on a Kiss Alive record.
0: You know, I honestly don't know why they didn't do that. And I know that Bruce talks a little bit about it in the book. He, but he just said what you just said, that what really sticks out uh, with his mind with that whole thing was that the tempo, I think to quote his quote, is that the tempo was off to the races. Yep. was that he was saying. And um, because, yeah, you know, it really makes no sense. If you think back to the year 1986, there wasn't one single kiss release. That would have been a perfect time to put out a, a live album. Uh, I guess also you can make the argument that the mid to late 80s, the live album was pretty much dead. It wasn't a very popular album. And the only live albums I could really think, as far as heavy metal from that time, were The Scorpions Worldwide Live. I yep. had that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't think of too many other live heavy metal albums from around that time.
3: Yeah, it's true. It was mostly a 70s
0: thing at that time. Yeah, 70s, and then it came back again with the 90s a little bit. But, um,. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you would think, though, that they would have realized with all these like live recordings laying around it would have cost absolutely nothing just to package them and put put together a live album. So, yeah, I don't know why That's they would do that.
2: People yeah.
1: quote Paul's raps on Animalize Live constantly. Oh, my God. Yes. And Jericho, we've had him on discussing too. Animalize was his thing a lot of people, that was their thing. And I'll be honest with you, and I've talked about it on our show before. That's what got me my second act with Kiss. I went to Detroit to visit my family, and my cousin play, had un, uh animalized Live on. I was like, mm-hmm. what the hell is this? <laughs> and it's like Paul in leopard print pants <laughs> shaking his ass and, right. you know, playing uh, fits Like a Glove. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> they, and I didn't know Kiss had, you know, I thought they disappeared. But mm. you wouldn't think, like, getting reintroduced to Kiss, seeing that video, you'd think Kiss was the biggest thing in the world, because they didn't like, that video didn't make them seem like they were small. They made him seem like they were still just as big. And, right. God bless them, it would have been great to have that on a CD or a cassette at the time to have that going around. Um, right. But one of the things I wanted to mention is, I think it, I think it was in the animalized section, you brought up a funny point, and I didn't know this story, that Paul didn't know that thief on the thief in the night was, was already, uh, on the album that Gene produced, right. For Wendy Williams. Correct. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I <interview>, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I the, uh, the songwriter, Mitch Weissman, who is the uh, co-writer of that song. And he also co-wrote uh, a couple of songs on Animalize. He co-wrote, uh, get all you can take and also murder in uh, high heels. He wrote, Yep. And uh, yeah, he he uh, brought and I, I never even thought of that. But, yeah, he brought up a good point that uh, Paul wasn't very happy when he uh, found out that uh, that song had already been <laughs> recorded <laughs> elsewhere. But,
1: but yeah, like, uh, Paul's really paying attention to Gene's career, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. Do you want to move on to Asylum or do you have anything else? Well, No, no.
3: I was just going to kind of segue into Asylum. And what follows is like you've mentioned before and you, you've talked about it. And it's in the book about how in the 70s you know, KISS were leading the way. They were the trend setters, where then the 80s come around and KISS is, it's reverse, KISS is the trend followers. And you see that with, a, with an album like Asylum, which is kind of like their glammy image album. The Crazy Nights is their Poppy trying to chase the Bon Jovi Def Leppard stuff. You kind of right. go into the hot in the shade. like So you can see that at that time, we're KISS fans. We love those albums, but you mm-hmm. can see through them as to what they are.
0: Right, yeah, absolutely. When you uh, look at them back today and everything, yeah, absolutely. Now you can see what they are. Yeah. Zeus.
1: Oh, so when I'm, you know, skipping through this and I look at the front, and yeah, it is something that I always picked up on. and You mentioned it in the book what, about the asylum lipstick matching the color of the solo albums, and that is a big problem for a lot of people.
3: The album cover, Good. yep.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, and then I uh, and then I mean we're going to be skipping I, I'm skipping ahead with this next com- comment, but the whole uh, controversy surrounding the uh, rise to it video where supposedly they wanted uh, Bruce and also uh, Eric to uh, wear the uh, makeup. I mean, well, with Eric, I don't know, if it would have made sense for them to have him wear his Fox makeup, but there yeah. was a rumor circulating that they wanted them to wear Peter and Ace's makeup, which uh, I could understand why uh, Bruce didn't want to do that. Yeah, that that
3: would have been that would have been an issue for sure.
0: Jesus, yeah.
1: wouldn't that have been great though to get it out of the way back then, before they put it on, just in the video to feel the fans' reaction? And maybe if they right. got backlash, they'd be like, "All right, we can't." When we do the reunion, and uh, you know, after Ace and Peter left, all right, we can't put these guys in the makeup. Remember what happened when we tried it on Rise to it? Right. People revolted, and maybe they didn't. You know, right. maybe
0: they wouldn't do and it. You know what? I'm, you know, I'm actually going to give you guys a tidbit that I have never said before in any of the um, oh, interviews I've done while talking about this book. Oh boy! One thing that I regret. There is one thing that I wish I remembered to ask in this book, and it was when I was interviewing Bruce Kulick. I should have asked him if he was going to wear makeup, what he would have done, or what he his design, or anything like that. That's something I I, I wish I thought of at the time. That's probably. You know, I tried to be very thorough with this bloody book, and that's one (laughs) thing that, of course, there's always one thing that after the book comes out, you're like, oh, I wish I had, you know, I wish I remembered that, but again. You can circle back to it later. Wait. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Now,
3: speaking of, the, well, we, but we briefly mentioned the rise to it video with the makeup. And I remember at that time I was flipping out and like kiss with the makeup and the makeup. Now there was a section in the book that I, you, you, you know, I don't, obviously we don't want to give too much away. Cause you know, we'll, we'll just kind of briefly cover it, but there was something in there about a potential reunion rumor
0: mm-hmm. that was happening around that time. Correct. Yes, I remember. I I'm pretty sure I, the first time I heard it was back then, around '89 or '90. I don't know if like Rip Magazine, or some magazine leaked a rumor that uh, there was talks or there was plans for uh, Kiss to reunite. What well, was going to the lineup was going to be Gene, Paul, Ace, and also Eric Carr. Wow. They were going to put back on the makeup, and they were going to do a. It would would have been a unmasked through creatures era type reunion of that lineup. Wow. But um, and there's also I know there's there was a book written about Ace Frutoli a while back. It wasn't it wasn't Ace's book. It was someone that knew him or something like that, wrote one, a book or something like that. And he even talks about it in uh, his book. I think that he <coughs> was like at Ace's house and he claims he overheard a phone conversation that Ace was having with Gene or something like that, that that uh, that was in talks, but that, you know, it didn't happen. I don't know if it had something to do with Eric's health was starting to fail him around that time. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that had something to do with it or just maybe they realized that the, uh, that if they were to do it at that point, it wouldn't have really done as well because, you know, I, I, I think they'd still, it, it still was a little too fresh. It, it, I don't, I don't think that enough time had passed at that point. I think if they did that at that point, it would have, it would have done okay, yep. but it would have done, it wouldn't have done as well as the reunion tour did in 1996. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, another great part, another story you tell, and I think Brett Fritz talks a few times in the books, gives different, uh, a a couple different chapters, but a real good touching story was him talking about meeting his hero at the time, Eric Carr, and Mm. being able to come up to him and, uh, then talking to the drum tech and then going up to him and Eric just, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but Eric just being Eric Carr. And it's a real touching story. I loved hearing it, and uh, and then he ends up playing with Bruce in Union,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, it's, cr- yeah it's crazy, and, and and then, of course, he's currently playing in uh, Bruce's solo band as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he has a, a few different sections in the book as well. He
0: does. Right? He, he talks about asylum, and he talks about Hot in the Shade. Perfect. Awesome. Tom? Yeah, so I wanted to. uh, If you had
3: anything more, Zeus, about those specific things, I just wanted to, before we, you know, lose, run out of time, I just wanted to ask a couple things about revenge, if I can. Okay. Um, So that's my favorite lineup other than the original, that revenge lineup. Um, Alive Three, love that album. I think it takes a beating, I think it's tremendously underappreciated. And that album is my favorite non makeup album. Um, You had a couple of interesting comments in there about the title of the album meaning what was kiss's intention with that album title was it who Who, who would they who talk a little bit about that like who would they have rev was this revenge on their fans revenge yeah. on their the people that kind of gave up on them in the 80s what do you what do you th- what do you think
0: of that yeah see that that's the thing too which I talk a little bit about in the book is um I was a kiss fan you know throughout the 80s uh but then what's funny is uh around 1991 I, I was happy to see that, like the quote-unquote heavy Kiss was back again. But by that point, like I've already discovered, I'm listening to Soundgarden, and Faith No More, and Ministry, and you know Allison Chains, and these bands that are more like authentic. And with Kiss, it was just like the last album was not like Revenge. And if you go back two albums, it was almost like a totally different band. So now, you know, are the fans supposed to forget the, the past? Ten years, and are we supposed to now just pretend that never happened? And you know, are we supposed to forget Paul Stanley's ridiculous stage raps from five years ago? <laughs> now they're suddenly <laughs> this like heavy, serious, demonic-looking band again. Like, you know, wh- what are we supposed to do? So, I will, I will admit that I, to this day, I've never actually purchased Revenge. Oh wow! Yeah, you believe that. I've, t- to this day, I've not because. Again, while I, I remember seeing the premiere of the Unholy video and saying, like, wow, I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised. But I mean, at that point, it's just I don't know. It just something didn't really it, it it just was not speaking to me the way that, say, Soundgarden, uh, the Soundgarden album Bad Motorfinger was speaking to me yep. or that Faith No More Angel Dust was speaking to me. That to me, I think, was it, it was just more like where my personally where where like my, I guess, head was at, at that point and what I was listening to and what I was expecting from a band and everything. Mm-hmm. Also, at that point, I had uh, finally discovered going to see uh, bands and clubs. And there's really no comparison between seeing a band play in a theater or a club than seeing them in a big stadium or a big arena where you're so far back. Oh, yeah. So I definitely started seeing more bands like that with, um, you know, with, with, with what was going on at that point. But to get back to your original question, yeah, with... The whole title Revenge, my question is, like, who is the Revenge against? Is it against the music business? Is it against Kiss Themselves for getting so off the path? You know, is it uh, Revenge for Gene that he's finally now back on track? You know, I, I, it just didn't make any sense. Like, what is this whole Revenge concept about? You know, I I couldn't really put my finger on it. It just seemed I just didn't really make too much sense.
3: Yeah, I think that was one of the best sections of the book was was the '90s Kiss, mm-hmm. um, you know, the revenge and, and especially the Carnival of Souls, um, you know, because you talk about how it was just a really awkward time for a lot of bands, um, you know, with a lot of music and Kiss trying to fit into that niche. Um, right. And I think and I think you know, real quick, Zeus, I'll, I'll I'll let you jump in here in a minute, but just one of my favorite sections of the book is when you have um, – so Zeus mentioned earlier on, our, we're part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, and we're lucky enough to have Martin Popoff and his podcast, History and Five Songs, is also part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. And one of my favorite sections of your book is when you have Martin kind of go through year by year, the 80s and the 90s, and talk about all the albums that were huge at that time and where Kiss was trying to fit in – And I think when you when you look at it like that, it was so well done how Kiss was just struggling so hard to fit in with those albums that were huge every year. That was a that was a really interesting section.
0: Yeah, that was a complete, total happy uh, accident. You could say that was because because like I had the idea like, yeah, you know, we'll just go like year by year through that whole, you know, from 1983 through through 1996. So we'll just get an idea of what you know what what kiss's competition was but then yeah reading it back like exactly what you just said you can to- and, and and i did not set out to do this but you could absolutely see the top albums of that year and look at whatever kiss was doing and you could say wow kiss was just really you know try- i mean real i i would say for yeah i mean it's it's just something that I, I i wasn't expecting to do but it just so happened especially when you look at like a year like 1985 with Motley Crue theater, theater of pain, and like what Rat was doing, and that's like you just said earlier that the uh, Asylum album was totally Kiss's glam period. And then you go to 1987, and you have Def Leppard Hysteria, and then you know you see what Kiss is doing with Crazy Nights, and even the uh, the uh, Hot in the Shade album has that song, Read My Body, which is a total <laughs> rewrite of the song Pour Some Sugar. So, oh God! Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just pretty. It was pretty uh, shameless what 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 they were doing there for a while.
3: Yeah, I mean it was, it was shameless, and it showed how they were how it was just so tough for them to try to fit into those eras. It was just it was really just seeing that uh, just so well put together. It was just like God damn, it must have been tough to be a, a Kiss fan and Kiss themselves at that time trying to compete with those albums that were huge every year during that you know fifteen year span, give or take.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, that's obviously why they got Ron, uh, Ron to produce Crazy Nights because of his success with Heart and also Ozzy and and all those bands. But then uh, I forget who it is. It may have been Martin actually brings up a good point that uh, Crazy Nights uh, came out in 87. But at that point now we already have Appetite for Destruction and like, you know, those things. So we're already starting to kind of veer off the glossy, overproduced sound. Whereas I think Crazy Nights would have done a lot better if it came out in say 1986.
1: Yeah, they. It seems it's a running um, theme that mm. Kiss's albums come out a year after, yeah, <laughs> a year right. and a half later. Just like you mentioned with Carnival of Souls
0: later on, you right.
1: just missed it.
0: Right. But you know, but then, but then again, that said, to Kiss's credit crazy nights was their breakthrough album over in uh, England. So, I mean, they, they were able to at least accomplish that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, But you know, listen, as much
1: as we could say this album could have been better, this album could be, you know, here it's still kiss. They're still our favorite band. We wish that all these albums still existed. So, you know, it it is what it is. That's what they produced. I wouldn't want any of it gone. Mm -hmm. Um, but a couple of things I want to bring up that I want to hit a couple of bullet points here for me. Um, didn't realize a lot of the that it, it's in the book where you talk about the musicians. Uh, I think it was Steve Ferris that was talking about for Creatures of the Night. Paul was like inviting people. Yeah, I want to audition for us. Just play on the album. I've right. never heard of a band. Doing
0: <laughs> that. yeah. right. That's
1: insane.
0: Yeah. But again, to Kiss's credit, they weren't trying to be sne- well, well, I was going to say they weren't trying to be sneaky, but yeah, they were trying to be sneaky from the standpoint that they weren't crediting these uh, poor bastards. But uh, but 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 uh, but Steve Ferris very clearly says that he was, you know, paid and everything. It wasn't like, oh, play and we'll get back to you. And you're wondering where the hell the money is. Like he said, no, they were, you know, very clear that, you know, we're going to pay you and everything. But, you know, it was it was clear from the beginning that I guess they were not going to get credited, though, on the album. But since then, with subsequent uh, pressings of the album, Kiss, I think, has done the right thing. And I think I think probably has properly credited a lot of the people. Um, so, which brings to a current theme, which I'm
1: sure you may have heard is you know, Bob Kulick is kind of revision history about his relation with Kiss and, you know, about getting paid for previous contributions. But in your book, I see there's obviously uh who's the keyboard player that played on some of their stuff? There's oh, op-
0: Derek uh, Derek, Derek Sherinian,
1: okay.
2: yep,
1: <laughs> um. The bassist guy with the big mohawk, Jean. Uh, I can't oh, even Oh, Jean, Jean Beauvoir,
2: Jean
1: yeah. Um You've got uh, Mitch Weissman. Like, mm-hmm. there's a few other people that talk about being on Kiss albums in this book, but they don't have any grudge. Mm-hmm. They said it was Kiss treated them fair. They're mm-hmm. not complaining. They all mentioned the same running theme, which was like, we were paid, you know, standard rate. We knew that we were our stuff wasn't going to be recognized on those albums, and that they have a good rapport with Gene and Paul. Right. You know, it's sad to see what Bob, who is really Kiss family, mm. is at at this point. And I think he has a couple parts in this book as well. But you know, it's 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 just interesting to me because there's doesn't seem to have anybody else that you mentioned in this book that you interviewed. That has any? There's no um,
0: hard feelings with yeah. any of. Them. Yeah, I mean, you know, from yeah, for, uh, especially with this book, they real I, I can't think of one single person that has anything bad to say about their uh, dealings with with Gene and Paul or Kiss. Yeah. they were all pretty, uh, you know, happy, and they all were very uh, grateful to get the to to you know get that opportunity. Even for instance, Steve uh, Farris, who wasn't really properly credited.
1: Yeah, Steve Ferris, great. Yep. yep. Yeah. You
0: know, He he even has nothing but positive things to say about them, and he even said even like you know after that after he tried out he he played on the title track for Creatures of the Night. Yep. And uh, there's actually a, a pretty good story in that that uh, the great Eddie Van Halen came to visit Gene and Paul while they were uh, recording Creatures of the Night, and uh, they played him a little bit of that track, and Eddie Van Halen heard that solo, and he's like, "What are you guys doing? You should just hire that guy. That guy's great." <laughs> but then, uh, but then Steve talks about why he didn't get the gig, which is uh, kind of funny, and it also makes yeah. you feel, feel kind of sad for Steve because it seems like he was very, very close to getting the gig, but there was uh, <laughs> one uh, small thing that happened, which uh, I will have to refrain from saying. Yeah, yes. exactly. Read yeah. the book. Yep. the Book. Yep. Yeah. One of the things Tommy just brought
1: up, you, you talk about Martin Popoff's part in the book, and this is one of the things I said earlier when I said why I love your book. There's different sections besides going chronologically through the albums. So you'll have a section about Bruce talking about all the KISS guitars, mm. right? And all the players. You'll have a section where uh you you analyze Gene's great movie career. <laughs> like there are little there are little segments throughout the 80s that you mention. Yep. Um, you know, in it, it just makes it fascinating. Even at the end, you have Eddie Trunks um, you know, top 20 uh non-makeup songs. I I think that's those little things thrown in here and there makes another exciting part of this book.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, usually how I preach every, uh, how I approach every single book that I've ever done is I realize there's going to be people reading the subject that are uh, experts that have read pretty much everything that there is up to this point. And there's also people that are going to be kind of new to the subject or don't really know that much about it going in. So I'm going to try to kind of merge both of things together. I'm going to try to please the people that want the backstory about the subject, but I also want to uh, surprise you with some stuff that hasn't been done to death kind of. So whether I'm looking at it as a unique, a, a unique way of approaching the subject, you know, sometimes I'll do it like that. We talked about that uh, rainbow book a while back, mm-hmm. you know, like with that book, I realized we'll, we'll speak to the people that were not in that uh, Richie Blackmore documentary. And the same with also this book. I figured well, let's go album by album and let's you know talk about some different things and different topics. And yeah, like for instance, there's a the thing about uh, Gene's acting career. There is a list of all the uh, Kiss TV appearance- appearances appearances yeah. here in the, yes. uh, in, awesome. the 80s in the eighties in the U.S. Yep, as far as that. And oh, and also there was a, And then something, to the best of my knowledge, it's never really been talked about that I wanted to include was uh, misogyny and metal. Totally. Uh concerning. 80s yeah. 30s. Yeah. I, I interviewed uh, uh, Catherine Terman, who's the author of a great book that came out a few years back called uh, La- Louder Than Hell, which is an oral history of the entire heavy metal genre, which is great. One and, of the greatest uh, just,
3: uh, one of the yeah, greatest
0: rock books ever written. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the yes. best. And yeah. And I was able to speak to her about it, you know, just saying like just talking what it was like to be a female heavy metal fan. Going to those shows at that point, hearing these songs because uh, some of Gene's lyrics in the '80s, like the song "Burn, Bitch, Burn," or have not aged very well at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I just figured I would just ask her about that. Yeah, and she had some pretty interesting things to talk about as well. So yeah, I just wanted to get different viewpoints, different you know thing, different angles that may have, haven't been explored before concerning Kiss. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. You also mentioned uh, there's a part where Bruce goes through the Kiss. Videos of yes. the eighties. Yeah, That's about, another fun section. Yeah, he talks about each promo video, including the ones he was not on. So he talks about "Lick It Up" and "All Hell's Breaking yep. Loose" and also "Heavens on Fire." And then yeah, and then he also talks about uh, the uh, long form videos as well. And he and I have yes. to give him credit. He does not pull punches when it comes to the Kiss Exposed video. He uh, definitely speaks his honest mind with what no, he thought. Oh, which is interesting. I, I put this down as one other
1: last point I wanted to make is that. I, this is feisty, Bruce. I'm not saying he's disrespectful to mm-hmm. Paul and Gene, but this is about as he makes a few comments in here that I'm like, wow, Bruce, and I don't want to spoil it, but people should look for it. He kind of speaks out about a couple of things. One is about Carnival Souls, and he <laughs> says something yep. there. Yep. And the other one, you know, he, he talks about things about, you know, his involvement in kissing maybe some of the videos and some of the interviews and things like that I, people should take a look at that section i just i it's refreshing cuz you don't usually get that from bruce and again he wasn't being disrespectful but he lets his opinion get known right
3: i agree yeah well we could continue talking about non makeup kiss forever but um uh Greg where can people find you on social media where can they track down this book and all of your other books
0: Yes well you can find this book and all the other books uh that I've done I've done 20 something books by the way I'm uh, always wow. writing Wow okay. <laughs> you can go on the popular website amazon.com just do a search wow, for Greg Prado <laughs> Did you say that
3: again
0: <laughs> <laughs> And you can do a search for Greg Prado p-r-a-t-o and yeah you can find this book the uh, Take it off, Kiss Truly on Mass Book. You could also find the uh, Eric Carr storybook and all my uh, past books there, and uh, they're always on sale. It seems like uh, somehow uh, Amazon always gets uh, pretty good prices for for the books. Yeah, and uh, also all my books are available through Kindle. Uh, you can get them through a Kindle download thing. And like I said, I also do. I'm constantly doing interviews and write ups for magazines and also uh, websites, and I'm always posting them on my Twitter page, which is. Uh, Twitter.com slash Greg Prato Writer. That's G-R-E-G-P-R-A-T-O-W-R-I-T-E-R. And, yeah, I'm always posting uh, my latest things there. And like I said, uh, this month, I mean, uh, this year, the next book is going to be a book about Bon Scott to uh, tie in with, sadly, 40 years since his passing, called A Rock and Rollin' Man is the title of that book. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, we should
1: definitely have you on when we do... We'll probably review the Eric Carr story, uh, you know, the book as well and bring you on for that. Great. If yeah. you lucky to, if we're lucky to have to have you back, if you know, time permitting for you, cause I know you've got a lot of stuff coming out. So right. that's <laughs> great. Tom.
3: Yeah. So, uh, so people can find us. We're all over, uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, our podcast can be heard pretty much everywhere. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we're a proud member of that Pantheon podcast, um, with the great Martin Popoff, who makes an appearance in this book. Um, you know, iTunes, Google play stitcher, Spotify. We put the audio up on YouTube, um, all every platform under the sun. Um, we're lucky enough to have Pantheon, uh, help us with that. Uh, so yeah, you can find us anywhere. Our email is shouted out loudcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, reach out to us, give us some feedback on, uh, on this episode, on the book, let Greg know what you think of the book. Um, I I can't say it enough, and um, you know Zeus and I were talking about this before. Um, it really is a a, a terrific uh, Kiss book, Greg. It's something that you should definitely be proud of um, because you have just nailed this era and added in all those extra tidbits. Um, Kiss fans love to consume Kiss information, and um, this book has that in spades. It's 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 excellent. Thank you. I definitely appreciate all the kind words tonight, guys. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, we had a blast. And uh, Zeus, what do we got?
1: So um, I want to echo Tom's sentiments. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, it's been a blast. I always learn stuff <laughs> when we have guests, but even today, you know, the stuff that you you know talked about and discussed, but there is plenty of stuff we didn't get to Oh, God. And there is tons of it in the book. So, anybody listening, go get the book and tell us about it. Tell us your thoughts because you will, I I guarantee you will come back and be like, thank God you guys talked about this book because this book is something you will not be able to put down. So, now, in the end, we always end with famous last words. I think you have a couple uh, unique ones for us today, Greg.
0: Yeah, so the uh, rule is that you have to uh, mention a kiss lyric pertaining to a topic, right? Correct. Please, go ahead. Well, my topic is going to be the uh, hit book, Take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked. (laughs) 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 Okay, so my quote, and I'm going to be incorporating uh, kiss uh, kiss lyrics into this. Here we go. Oh, boy. For some, Paul Stanley's stage raps during the non-makeup era may have provided some thrills in the night. But in hindsight, it was like a never-ending race, like a time without a place, a pointless thing, devoid of grace. Oh, wow! Well done.
3: Wow. Well done. I don't have any poetry. Poetry. I don't. I don't have anything that poetic. But uh, I'm going to do some famous last words from one of the much maligned non-makeup '90s Kiss albums. Uh, Pull a deep cut off of here. From Mr. Paul Stanley, you were in the right until you're left stuck in the middle. I still wonder why you gave it all for such a little. I'm nice. one of the, I'm one of the rare people that still like carnival of souls. I'll take that beating. That's okay.
1: Zeus. <laughs> yeah. Finish us off. So push over, uh, Bob Dylan. Here we come. <laughs> Read my body. Are the letters big enough? Read my body. Do you like the book of my love? Read my body. Turn the page. Get to the good stuff. <laughs> Perfect way
3: to end an episode about a book. Excellent. That's right, Greg, thank uh, you again so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. We had a lot of fun. We hope you did too. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Tom and Zeus.
1: Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kiss Army. Peace out, Girl Scout.
3: Oh!